You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Given that we just finished a few series messages on Luke, I want to take a break on Mother's Day and talk about the ladies. Um, because honestly, when the church gets into talking about women, it often subjects them, insults them, and demeans them, cramming them into corners that the Bible never crams them into, taking culture that we have today and treating that as gospel truth instead of actually taking what the Bible has to say and uh, listening to that. I realize I'm completely out of the camera shot here for the online. Okay. So uh, I want to go ahead and, and talk about just a few glimpses into the Bible. Now, I understand that there are some complicated passages in the Bible, and almost all of it comes from Paul, right? Uh, so much so that uh, a lot of people just feel like Paul was maybe like sexist or something like that. But that's actually not the case at all when you look at the full story of Paul. Uh, let me say it kind of like this. If uh, I wish my phone rang that loud so like I would actually hear it. <laughs> um, no, you're good. Uh, when I die... If any of you all go through my personal emails, which I guess I'm gone, so whatever. If you go through my emails and interpret my emails without knowing me as a person, I'm going to be very upset with you, okay? Realize that Paul's books in the Bible is his email. Like, it's his mail. He literally sent these messages to churches. He's talking as Paul as a person, not as words on a page. He's writing to people in their cultures, in their cities, in their circumstances. And so often we go through Paul's emails, we say, oh, wow, I can't believe he said that. And we don't look at the rest of Paul. Now, look, if the Bible ever says something that people don't really like, and I feel convinced that the Bible still means what it means on those passages, I'm willing to believe it, whether it's unpopular or not, because I'm allegiant, first and foremost, to the gospel. I find that that gets me in a lot of trouble these days. Some Christians call me liberal. Some Christians call me conservative. (laughs) Whereas I'm just trying to focus on the gospel, which doesn't fit into any box. And so people try to fit you into some kind of these other boxes that we do know. I'm okay with preaching things that are unpopular. But when I look at the Bible and what it has to say about women, I find that it doesn't preach the kind of subjection that we in our culture preach today. I find that Paul didn't preach that. Yes, he has confusing passages. There's a passage where he talks about how women shouldn't teach. I don't think that's that complicated as to what he actually meant to say. You have to understand, uh, there are five different kinds of callings within the church. Does anybody know any of them? Kathy, one. Pastor, George. Yeah, Kathy, you had one. Apostles, first and foremost. Pastor... Did you raise your hand, Caitlin? Yeah, I'm gonna say Teachers, one. Yep. So a pest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd or pastor, and teacher. We call it shepherd because you can't make an acronym with a P in it. Then it just be apept, and it doesn't sound cool. Also, you have two P's and can't remember what it is. So apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. At the bottom is teaching. 
And in Paul's time, women weren't educated. That just was the culture of the time. Now, would you ever give like a kid who didn't graduate from high school the ability to teach high school or beyond? Probably not. In the same way, Paul understood, I'm guessing within his context, that look, uh, teachers need to be educated to speak the kind of things that they have to teach. That's how teaching works. And since our culture has not spent the time educating women as it should, therefore you probably shouldn't take on a teaching position. I would say that that was just for his time, not for like all future time or anything like that. There are other ways of, of looking at this passage that made sense too. Because here's the other thing. What did we say was up the list? Prophets. The Bible has female prophets. The New Testament has female prophets. Paul himself addresses female prophets. Does it make any sense that women can serve at the second highest function in the church, but not the lowest? I would say absolutely not. That doesn't make any sense. On top of that, do we have female apostles in the Bible? Yeah. Who? Junia. Junia. She's a female apostle, but the church so often is so uh, putting women into subjection that men for the longest time are like, Junia, we think, is a man's name. <laughs> They literally did this. This is how blinded we are to what the gospel says, to what the New Testament says. Junia, that's a, that's a man's name. No, it's not. We've looked at the Greek Junias. They're all women. How blind do we have to be? Well, it just doesn't make sense with Paul. Yes, it does. Have you read all of Paul? Not just an email from Paul, but all of Paul's emails? He went to prison with women. He sent Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife duo, to places to do ministry. And he mentions Priscilla's name first often, as though she's doing more of the work. Even calls her Prisca. It's a nickname. He also mentions uh, Phoebe, who's a deacon at a church. He talks about other women, Senshi and Taichi. I don't remember everybody's name, nor can I pronounce them correctly. <laughs> Lots of women throughout Paul's writings all over the place that he is clearly doing ministry with. Women who he mentions by name. We should be looking at the confusing passages we don't understand in the context of all of Paul's emails, not just those confusing passages. And when we do that, it is very clear biblically that Paul was involved with women in ministry all over the place. In fact, culturally, people would have heard Paul talking very differently. When he says, uh, husbands love your wives, like we read that, we're like, wow, Paul's, you know, kind of got this masculine thing going, husbands love your wives. At the time, I know this sounds bad, but in their culture, husbands were not like expected to love their wives. Women were expected to love their husbands, but Paul comes along and he's like, no, it goes both ways. We hear it in a weird way, whereas in their time, they would have heard that as like, Super liberal. Whoa, Paul, that's a statement. Love our wives. Huh. What world are you living in? I know this is sad, but Paul's actually progressive in his time. All over the place. Why is he progressive? Well, because Jesus was progressive. Jesus spends his time laboring in discipleship, not just among the 12 men that were with him, but the Bible keeps mentioning all these women who go with him. They go and do ministry with him. At one point, it mentions that Jesus' ministry, Luke mentions that it was funded by women. Women were funding the ministry of Jesus. <laughs> and when Jesus died, who was there at his grave 
Mary, the women. The women were there. Brave and out in the open. We knew that guy you killed. We knew that guy you hated. We knew that guy that you thought was worthy of death. And here we are. Where are the men? Hiding Hiding behind locked doors. (laughs) Where's Peter? I don't know the guy. (laughs) Three times. And yet Mary's like, where is he? I got to find him. Jesus elevates women over and over again in his ministry. It would have surprised people when Jesus talked to the woman at the well. In their culture, you didn't do that. A man and a woman were not to be talking one-on-one with each other, especially with this person that they treated like a half-breed because she was partially Jewish and partially not. There was this whole kind of racism thing. And Jesus just walked straight through the racism and speaks right to her. And when the disciples show up, they're like, what are you doing? He's elevating women. He's taking care of women. And he continues to do that all throughout the gospel. You know, an apostle is essentially a sent one. Who's, who's kind of the first sent ones to go and tell the world about the resurrection? The women. At the resurrection. Jesus shows up. The resurrection's real. This is the gospel. Go and tell the men now. They're hiding out, scared somewhere. Yeah, Zane. Right. So in their culture, a lot of times they had kind of like these arranged type marriages that you'd have someone uh, who is like that. You didn't just go out and kind of choose your spouse all over the place. I'm not entirely sure what they were doing in Greek time, but it's usually arrangements within their culture like, hey, we think that you'll like this girl. You should marry her and we'll make the arrangements for that to happen. So. So, yeah. So dating must have been really hard. You're right, Zane. I get it. <laughs> uh, But it's women over and over again. You have to understand, Jesus was making points when he did this, especially when he sent women first with the good news, the good gospel of the resurrection. Women at that time were not trusted. Culturally, if they came telling you like crazy news, the men would just think it's crazy. And what sounds crazier than being raised from the dead? (laughs) Nobody's ever done that before. We're not talking like I took the paddles and put it on the chest. We're talking like we watched that guy bleed out on a cross. You're saying he's alive again? And yet Jesus, knowing that people would belittle women for that, still chose the women. That's a mega statement right there. He's showing the whole world. What are you doing to women? Do you not understand that they are just as much the image of God as you men are? Do you not understand That they are in ministry too? Do you not see the way that God set out the earth? How did he set out the earth? All the way at the beginning of the Bible, he makes a man in his image. In other words, this man is meant to image God. It's a verb. He is an imager. Everywhere he goes, when people look at him, they should be seeing the way that God would act. Image is the same word for idol. So in the same way you would gaze upon an idol and think of a false god, when you gaze upon a human being, you should be thinking of the one true god. Because just as the idol represents the false god, so a human being, if he's or she is living the way that God would have them live, then you should be gazing upon the way that God would live on this earth. Because we are images of God. God makes a man... 
and then realizes, you know, he's not, he can't do this alone. Then we have this weird thing where he brings a bunch of animals, like, is this a good partner? No, and it's not a good partner. You know? And finally we get to the point, it's like, okay, I'm gonna make someone suitable for you. I'm going to put you into a coma, rip your rib out, <laughs> and then stick it over here and make another person, a female. And you can have your rib back, you just gotta marry and become one with them, which is a story for another time. Um, but you can have your rib back by becoming one unit. And so men and women from this point on are going to marry one another to unify the image of God in the different ways that it is created, unless you're called to singleness, as uh, Jesus will say, some are called to. And as we image God, we'll do it as a unit. Now, a lot of people look at that passage in Genesis and are like, okay, Man couldn't do it alone, and so God made him what the Bible calls a helper, a woman. And here's the way a lot of people interpret it. It's that, it's that, it's that one video I saw online of a guy driving a tractor around, and then the woman comes out with a bunch of chicken wings and lemonade. It's like, here you go, I'm here to help you. And they're singing that whole, she thinks my tractor's sexy, country song, right? That's the way that people interpret the Bible. That men are supposed to do the work and women are supposed to help the men as they're doing it. That's not the way it's pictured. God made the image of God in in a man and then the image of God in a woman and then put both of these in charge of the earth to reign over it, to have dominion, dominion as kings and queens. And as they image God over the earth, as they show the world what God looks like, they will be subjecting the world to the one true God through the way that they reign over it. The woman is not a helper in the sense that she's just supposed to help the man as he does the work. The woman is just as much the image of God, and the man is, if anything, not good enough to do it alone. He needs help. He needs a companion. And so now the two come together to do what was really not good enough for just one. They image God together to the world with the same exact calling, the same exact abilities, same exact heart, soul, mind, spirit, strength, which they will subject fully to God. They will show the world what God looks like in every facet of life together. When people are like, well, no, the Bible says she's a helper. It's the Hebrew word ezer. You know who else in the Bible is called an ezer, a helper? God. God is a helper. So if, if we say that the word ezer means they're like helping, they're like subjected to someone, then that means that we also would have to say that God is subjected to humanity. Does that sound right? No, that's heresy, by the way, just so we're clear, or new ageism or something like that. Just as God comes and helps humanity do what it's called to do, so woman will come and help man do what they both together are called to do. And this is the beauty of the gospel all the way from the beginning all the way to the end. We recently preached through Revelation. You know what one of the weird things that I find in Revelation is? There's a woman named Jezebel. We don't remember her fondly because she was misleading the church. But the way that Jesus calls out Jezebel is like, look, I've been really patient with her. She's leading the church and she's doing it the wrong way and she needs to repent. And she needs to lead them back towards me, not all this weird teaching that she's been giving them. You realize Jesus in Revelation is never like, she needs to understand that she's a woman and she's not supposed to be there. No. 
Jesus' critique on the situation is, I, I need her to repent. I know she knows who I am, but she's completely teaching someone else. You need to look back at me, repent, and do what I've called you to do. That right there is even Jesus affirming, in my brief opinion on that passage, affirming a woman in ministry, just correcting her. Anyways, this is something that I, I call on all theological topics. There's a lot of things that we fight about in the church today because we've come across like one or two or three passages that are really hard to interpret. And yet when we look at the whole biblical picture, we realize it's not these two or three or four passages that, that should be um, leading the rest of the, the Bible. It's the rest of the Bible that should be leading these three or four passages, causing us to look at them and say, something's not right here. Now, this is a free Methodist church, and we believe in the egalitarian view that both men and women are made in the image of God, called to do the same thing. Yes, we're different, but not so different that we don't get to do the same kind of ministry, that we don't have the same kind of calling, that anyone is greater or lesser than one another. The kingdom of heaven is completely flipped upside down. So anyone that you've always treated as lesser is actually greater in heaven than you are. So start losing your sports all the time. If you really want to be moving somewhere in heaven, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, but if, if you see someone and you in your mind are not humble and you don't treat them as greater than you, you can imagine that you're getting the short end of the stick in heaven, the way that works out. Jesus is constantly about humbling ourselves. There's one last passage I'll share. Um, there's that story with Martha and Mary, right? I don't know why this passage always gets used to talk about women being in the kitchen. Maybe that especially offends me because I'm the cook in our house. At the same time, my wife and I have both agreed that I'm definitely more stereotyped in all the feminine ways, and she is much better at the things, masculine things that I can't do, like fix stuff hammers. I don't know where I'm going again with this. <laughs> My point is people use the Martha and Mary story where Martha's like in the kitchen and she comes out and she's like, Jesus, send Mary back here to help me. We're trying to serve you guys. They use that somehow to like, yeah, Mary should go back and help. That's not the point of the passage at all. This is literally the opposite point of the passage. <laughs> Mary was doing something that you wouldn't have expected her to be doing. She was sitting at the feet of a rabbi, listening to him and learning in their culture like a man. And Martha comes out like, what is she doing? Doesn't she know where she belongs? And Jesus is like, shut up, Martha. No, he doesn't say it like that. That's the message version. <laughs> Jesus is like, what are, she's chosen the better portion. In other words, Martha, get your butt in here and join her. What are you talking about? This is the right thing to do. Now, settle down, stop being busy, and come and learn at the Master's feet. And yet, somehow that passage gets used to talk about how women need to cook. I don't, I don't understand it all. Anyways... The passage is over and over again. We need to open our eyes. We need to pay attention. I understand that like, if something is ever like, controversial in the gospel, like whether we like it or not, we are obedient to Jesus. But when you look at the full picture the gospel paints, women and men are on the same team in the gospel. 
In the kingdom of heaven, they are doing the same work. They are called to the same stuff. And the Bible sure has a lot of women mentioned who are in ministry doing what God has called them to do. And so we should be doing the same. With all that being said, Supreme at this church, I can preach that as loud as I want. Um, and I've written a lot on it too. If you're still like, Chairman, there's a lot of weird passages out there. I just don't know what to do with those. I've written a lot on that, and I would happily give you a few PDFs or audiobooks so that you can cycle through it and uh, learn some of the cultural things because they get pretty weird. And if I start going down that trail, I won't come out. Should I do it? Should I get into the hair thing? No? Okay. Yeah. Hair thing? Huh? What time is it? Well, what's time we got? Do I have time? I can't tell. It does. I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. Right? <laughs> My wife wants me to shut up, so. I guess we won't do it. And after preaching about the opinion of women being important, I should shut up. All right. With all that being said, welcome to the gospel. Women, if you have felt that you have been chained down from the gospel, I free you of that today. If you feel like something like Mother's Day is exactly the kind of thing that causes a certain stereotype of you, I free you of that today. Be free to follow Jesus and do the things that he calls you to do. We're all called to this together. And the church has suffered dearly over the last few centuries because it has decided to be a male church. And you better believe we've done a lot of hideous things, a lot of very sinful things in all that time because we have only known a certain perspective. And it's time to stop that, hear the whole thing. Likewise, if you're a woman and you feel called to ministry, let's get you in and come talk to me. All right, let me pray for you and I'll let you go by orders of my wife. <laughs> Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, time to come together to chat. Uh, to worship and to subject ourselves to you. We are your children, and you have granted us power because we are made in your image, and you have called us to go out and change this world, mold it to the way that you would have it, not just as male, not just as female, but to do it together. Not with woman serving man as man does the work. Not with man serving woman as woman does the work. But with both serving each other, humbling themselves before one another as they humble themselves before Jesus to bring the kingdom into fruition. So we subject our lives to you. And we pray that all of our um, interactions with one another would be um, found in the way that we love you and you love us. Just as Paul calls us to in the end. We love one another because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.